There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You think about the person in your life when you started believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifice. And I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Oh, enjoy your lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who's strutting around his house with his elbows behind his back and his beak protruding, is Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Prue, prue. <laughs> <laughs> 12 to go Nathan let's to go. go are you nervous buddy are you nervous you should be <laughs> no I did say at the start of this um, this bet that I would happily pay to charity 30 quid to see Richarlison score 15 yeah. goals and I celebrated both of his goals wild, not wildly because it wasn't one of those afternoons for me but I celebrated both goals and I would love him to hit 15 by the end of February <laughs> I think he's going to do it I think he's going to do it he looks, uh, well, come on to it, but he looks like a different player. Yeah. Uh, a little shout out to Danny Boy AT3 on Twitter. You know what? Um, appreciate it. Um, Lion says, has Bardi ruined Christmas? I would like to say I haven't ruined Christmas, but if you would like me to ruin Christmas, join our Patreon and find out what Lion is so upset about <laughs> and what many other people have been upset about today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, the thing is, they thought it was me, and I had to explain that it was Bardi. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you'd uh, like to know why, we're not going to. I said it was a, in a safe space, I could talk about these things. So, if you'd like to know, sign up. Otherwise, <laughs> have your Christmas unruined. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. It's, it's even reached my WhatsApp. It's even reached my WhatsApp, man. Like, <laughs> long time listener of the show, uh, my friend Yago, he. Um, he even messaged me to say, what have I done? He can't open his emails today. RR10 says, how poor is Ash Phillips at fantasy football? <laughs> so this is in relation to the the widespread rumour that Son wasn't going to be available to play against Newcastle because uh, of the injury he sustained at the end of the West Ham game. And the fact that Ashley Phillips had removed him from his own fantasy football team. I mean, to be honest, I'd removed Son from my team a couple of weeks back. So, you know, Ashley Phillips was just kind of getting with the program rather than um, seeing an injury. But uh, it turns out Son uh, not only started, but was outstanding. So let's uh, let's do the starting eleven. Um, I think a lot of people would have been quite surprised that Lo Celso was benched. Uh, he, along with Hoybier, with Sarbak and Richardson, getting a, a surprise start. Um, Bardi, how did you feel when you saw the starting eleven? Yeah, I was surprised with um, Lo Celso benched because I thought he'd been playing really well. Um, happy to see Hoybier back back where he belongs, which is good, <laughs> and delighted to see my boy Sarbak. I've I've missed his I've missed his legs. I've missed his athleticism. So I was I was reasonably happy with that. Mm. Um, and before we wax lyrical about Spurs a little bit, uh, Johannes Roswell says, "How bad were Newcastle?" and uh, our house fan, uh, Lawrence, I'm going to call him, says, were we good or did Newcastle just do a really bad job of stopping us from passing through the midfield? Nathan, were, were Spurs good or were Newcastle just really bad? Uh, yes, is my answer to that question, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got to, I think it's fair to acknowledge that. Um, God, um, they were terrible. They were so bad. They were bad because they, uh, 
they were done. Like they they've had a worse injury crisis than us. Even um, twelve players absent for this game. They their squad was not prepared for European football. Um, they as a club weren't really prepared for European football. I don't imagine. Um, and uh, yeah, they were out on their feet and they were playing um, Kieran Trippier <laughs> at right back, who we will remember him from his physical prime at being poor in one v ones both ways. <laughs> Um, and was just out on his feet after 20 minutes in this game. Kieran Trippier looked how I felt after my work Christmas party on Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) Kieran Trippier, I still have nightmares of Leroy Sane versus Kieran Trippier. Mm -hmm. I still occasionally will wake up in a cold sweat thinking about that. So it was good because he's he's been on this kind of redemption arc of, oh, he went to Atletico and Simeone taught him how to defend and now he's an incredible (laughs) right back that Spurs should have signed. Um, He's the same player he was. You know, he's yeah. he's he's really important in how Newcastle progressed the ball forward, just like mm-hmm. he was for us when we didn't have a midfield. Um, you know, his delivery in the final third has has won Newcastle games repeatedly this season. But also, he can't get back in time. Um, he's poor one v one. He gasses out. He can't dribble the ball. He can't carry the ball. He's the same player he always was. And putting him in different scenarios is gonna create different results. But he hasn't changed. For me, um, yeah, okay. We have to acknowledge Newcastle really struggled in this bat in this game, and the way that they play, which is to be more of a pressing team, really played into our hands as well. But for me, what I saw is um, this was a really good um, demonstration of the promise of where we're headed to, right? Because okay, we're not going to come up against a gassed out Kieran Trippier game after game after game, but. <laughs> When we bring into the squad a player who can make other right backs look like Kieran Trippier, we're going to do this again and again and again. That's why I really believe. So you had tweeted after the West Ham game, or at half time in the West Ham game, you <laughs> tweeted if we had if we had a a one v one winger or someone who would was prepared to go on the outside, we'd be fawned up at half time. Um, and I I disagreed with you slightly mm. because. Um, I felt that we got in behind West Ham really quite effectively in the first half, and I thought Brennan Johnson's delivery was awful. I thought if he'd if he'd got his head up and essentially done what Son did against Newcastle, we could have been two or three nil up. Uh, but Johnson's delivery is is inconsistent at the moment at the stage he is in his development. That said, it's clear to see that Son, having been moved to the left to presumably overcome this issue. Uh, did really drive to the byline and and get the cutbacks in, and, and it worked an absolute treat. Um, you know, yes, he was up against Kieran Trippier, but he's got to still play the ball across, even after he's beaten Kieran Trippier, and his crossing was very, very, very effective. And of course, we have a left back who is also an inverted midfielder and also a number nine, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, on on Lacelso not starting, I just wanted to say that like um. I think it made a lot of sense for this game because Newcastle are a very physical side, a physical and exhausted side. And so while I was initially surprised that Lacelso wasn't in the team, it then made sense when I thought about it. We put out probably our most physical combination of players that we could manage. If you think about, you know, mm. Johnson and Richardson as the as the two selected forwards to accompany Son, um, our most physical midfield, it, you know, Kulosevsky to be the number ten, um, Saar, um, lots of lots of players who can really eat up the ground and, and win jewels and stuff. And I think that made a lot of sense for what was a more open game. Um, so I think that one made a lot of sense, and I don't. Th- I don't think it's a comment on Lacelso's recent performances. I think it's more of a comment on one his physicality, um, and two, and also just managing his minutes. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. still. Yeah, I think I that's really came, sensible. And I thought he came off the bench and and had an impact and helped. Had we been chasing the game, I think he would have added something to us. Definitely, I thought he had a good game coming off the bench. I the, I don't think you did. Windows. I thought he was dog shit when he came on. <laughs> um, I'd, so I did a, a post-match pod, as I always do now for the Patreon. Uh, we had a question about this from Hill to Dion, who said, I thought Gio did quite well when he came on, including a line-breaking pass to start the move for Sonny's penalty. Curious to hear Windy expand on why he was so down on him in the reaction pod. And it wasn't that I was so down on him um, per se. Well, I guess I was. <laughs> um, the point I made was... Um, when he had the little run in the team before and was really good and then came out of the team, I remember him coming on in a match and just being awful and, and not having the same impact. And I really felt he struggled in this game to get up to the tempo of the game. 
It was like, and Hoybier was the same. And I, I would say I've been really impressed with Hoybier coming off the bench this year. But that misplaced pass was very, very sloppy. And I felt he didn't get to grips with the tempo either. But Lo Celso in particular, um, the timing was all wrong. Um, he was getting kind of bustled off the ball a bit. He looked kind of clumsy and clunky. And I felt like he just wasn't quite like, it was almost like he hadn't warmed up enough. Um, and, and really struggled to get to grips. Whereas when he's been starting, I've been so impressed with the way he's been kind of protecting the ball and slipping through challenges. I, I thought he struggled when he came on. Um, but I really want to talk about players that I thought did really well in this game. And there's so many of them. So let's start off with a question from JB, who said, watching the game on television, it looked like Saar was everywhere, but with a limited view, um, uh, we couldn't always see his movement. Was he everywhere all at once, and how did he do it? Bardi, you're, you're Sar's biggest advocate on this podcast. What about Sar in this game? He was everything, everywhere, all at once and all the time. He was incredible. He was. There was moments when Newcastle would break and he would just appear and get a toe in and then spin away and then start a counter-attack. I, I know why sometimes he winds you up, Windy, because his cross-field passing can sometimes be a bit wayward and occasionally his kind of quick passing can be a bit off. But I didn't really, I didn't realise how much we missed him until we, I saw him today and we really did miss his, we really have missed his energy and the way he can just bust through lines and just offer us something completely different. He had a good chance, which he missed and he wasn't doing his wild shots that he likes to do he he was unbelievable and there's there's no one else in our squad that could do what he does and I think he he's so important to us and immediately everyone around me was just like oh my god what are we going to do when he's when he's gone when he goes away for the African Cup of Nations he was incredible he was one of the best I, I don't I don't think Spurs in my lifetime have ever had a midfielder with that kind of body type and it was an it was a really impressive performance and I I just think as he gets older and as he matures and as he learns about the game more and, and like just his technique improves he's going to be sensational and I think somebody on I think someone in our Discord and someone else tweeted it about hey, if he was playing for Brighton Chelsea would have dropped 150 million pounds because <laughs> that's that's how impressive he was yeah yeah i um again i'll say that like i think that he was a really good fit for this game because of his physical profile eating up loads loads of tur- uh, turf um his defensive game all of that but i also think that this was his best technical game i feel like his first touch was the best it's been i feel like his disguise on his passes was the most uh, consistent it's been um he does a thing that when he doesn't like and i also don't like but i don't make a big deal about it <laughs> where he he bobbles the ball on his passes and he was doing that a lot less um so i feel like this is a um yeah maybe his best performance today and and it's worth acknowledging coming off the back of a long layoff as well so um yeah really really brilliant performance from him it seemed like he believed in himself it seemed like he he was he wasn't a boy anymore and we we always sit here and we we make these like what well, I do anyway make these grand predictions about what's going on in the player's head how they're feeling but perhaps over the last month or so where he's not been playing he's he's had a look and he's realised how crucial he is to this team and he's almost kind of matured into a into a, into a fantastic player I really was so impressed by him and I hope he continues. There was one particular bit of play which has been clipped up by Spurs official where uh, Gordon is racing away on the left and Saar doesn't even seem to be running that fast and yet just catches up with him, wins the ball, takes it around him, takes it around him again, pops the ball up the line uh, and it's, 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 it's breathtakingly good and I think it just kind of illustrates the sort of immense physicality he has when covering ground. His, his stride length is so graceful, such a graceful, graceful mover. And we had a question from Ivan Victor, who said, I'm curious about your specific thoughts on Saar from Sunday and Saar in general, especially his ceiling and which players he reminds you of. And I've been having a long think about which players he most reminds me of. And I really can't remember too many like him. The only one in terms of the way he covers ground on a pitch tirelessly that I can think of is Jermaine Genus, um, who, <laughs> yeah. who I think was a really underrated player for Spurs. Uh, people used to say that he would go missing in, in big games because he wouldn't always get on the ball much. And Saar's similar. He doesn't always get on the ball much, but he affects the game uh, and his, his ability off the ball. And um, I think that's where I personally have undervalued Saar. I think I think there are some issues with his his ball striking technique, but I think what he does off the ball more than makes up for that. And um, he's a really valuable player. The only other player in our squad that I think can do what Saar does is Bentancourt because he is a brilliant ground cover as well with a similarly long stride. And I do think Bentancourt 
um, over Saar strengthens us. But, you know, you can't just constantly play the same players. So having Saar in our squad is a complete and utter godsend. When we're in two competitions, hopefully next season, they're both going to get plenty of games and, and often together as well. And, and that's a great thing. Genus is a good example. And it honestly, I, that's why I was thinking of it. It's the closest Spurs have had since then. The other comparison, it's, it's, it's an easy one because they're, they're from the same country, is Patrick Vieira, who was, who was more than just legs. He was technically very good. I know he played for Arsenal. Um, he was technically great, could do everything up and down the pitch. And um, he honestly does remind me of a young Patrick Vieira. We've signed someone, I think, can perhaps... Well, even if he gets to like... I'm going to stop talking about Arsenal players. I've just that's it, no more. But... He, he's got that ceiling, as far as I'm concerned. So other players that play well, I mean, there are so many of them. Um, well, let's talk about Richarlison. So uh, Tony, Ramsadi and Sovereignty said, should we sell Richarlison and the Celso now whilst their price and reputation are on the up? <laughs> Richarlison looks so good in this game. The, the work ethic is incredible. His touch was tight. Um, his timing of the pass was there. And of course, he scored two goals as well. Um, Richardson had groin surgery, um, and he has he has attributed uh, a lot to that. Um, is he was he moving freer and better? Was he faster? Was he more agile in this game and also he, in a brief cameo against West Ham? Totally, yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, in this game, yes, West Ham, I would say less so. Okay, yeah, interesting. Um, I there was a moment in the West Ham game where he he ran for a loose ball, and I thought, oh, that's he wasn't that fast before, was he? Um, but obviously, then after that, he's just sort of stood between two centre backs waiting for the balls to come in, so you don't really see any more than that. Um, and obviously, of course. Um, that physical change is going to have a very significant effect on his his mental game. When you feel more confident in your body, when you feel more confident in your challenges, all of that is is huge. Freeing. If you can extend into your sprint without being nervous, then you're going to arrive to the ball a second earlier. But I think the main reason that Richarlison scored two goals in this game is because we fucking put the ball into him and we didn't do that before. And I think that the goals would have been there before. Um, his finishing is still rough and it will, probably always will be. It definitely always will be. His first touch for his uh, second goal, dog shit. <laughs> but then because his groin works, he can catch up to his <laughs> first touch and uh, and score that. Um, I think the main difference is that we provided him the ball. And uh, if we keep doing that, he'll keep scoring goals. Even if he ha- he has to get a miss, a good it's the it's the uh, Harry Kane Defoe myth. If you miss a chance, then you're more likely to score your next one, right? <laughs> he's got to get a good miss out of the way, <laughs> and then and then he's a he's a, an apex predator. Yeah. Um, in my excitement talking about Saar, I forgot to I was going to reflect on JB's the previous question that when you watch live, it does seem different. So Saar is exceptional to watch live mm. because of how he moves, and I've thought Richarlison looked nippier, quicker, perhaps more mobile, but then, you know, your eyes also cheat you because you know he's had an operation yeah. he's coming back. But he did move better and, um, yeah, his touch was ropey on occasion, but his his work, the way his, his work rate was great. Oh, he's and, um, defending from backwards. Yeah. My goodness. Magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, the tackle for the, um, was it for his second goal, actually, where he tackled back and won it midfield? He made yeah. several lunging <laughs> challenges. Yeah, really impressive. I mean, the thing is, he knows he's had an operation. So even if it's not, you know, mechanically had an impact on his body, it's had an impact on his on his mind. And I think that is just as important. And uh, he does look like a new man. Uh, I, I'm really tempted to bring him into my fantasy team again, actually. I, I'm, I started the season with him. and I'm, I'm thinking of transferring him in for next week. Um I want to talk about Kulusevski briefly as well. Um, so I thought he was man of the match, to be honest. I thought he was incredible. I thought he was everywhere. I thought everything we did good came through him. His touch, his technique, his timing, immaculate, his work rate, monstrous. Um, how, how, how good do you think he is in the middle of midfield? I mean, it's really frustrating for someone who put him in their fantasy football team for Kudaseski just to get two points from that game uh-huh. because he was everywhere. Um, he was unbelievable. He's he's had this season where he's just physically immense, technically great, and um, he was really unlucky not to get an assist or get a goal or something. But he did so much for us. He he that reminded me of like perhaps like a Bernardo Silva at, at City. That just is mm. everywhere. Really tenacious. Really involved. He was it was a really great performance from him. Mm. Uh, what game was it before I talked about him playing in the middle? It was a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, Villa game. Villa game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about how um, I talked about how like 
when he's out wide, he can get lots of touches on the ball and he does a hell of a lot with the limited speed that he has. Um, but if he can't get the ball with momentum, he can't get around his man and that limits his creativity in the final third. Whereas when he's in the middle, um, he definitely can't get that time on the ball, but he can do something with the ball first time. He can do a layoff. He can do a two-touch play and stuff like that. In the Newcastle game, we saw the best of both worlds because he's playing in the middle where he can access teammates around him and do threatening things. But also because Newcastle are coming out to press, there's a bit more space. So he's getting space in the middle. My goodness, what a player he is when he's got space in the middle. Wow. Um, it's tough to pick a man in the match because Son, Richarlison, Saar, Poro, we have talked about. Um, were all brilliant, but yeah, I think Kulisevsky is uh, as good a contender as any of them without getting a goal or assist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the previous question about Lacelsa, right? Remember, remember about a month ago we were talking about how uh, when Madison's out, we we're in real trouble because we don't have any, we don't have any backup to him. Now we've got too many, right? Now, mm. now we've got too many. We've it's crazy, we've isn't it? Celso, what a crazy we've situation. Got, we've got Kulisevsky. Donnelly's getting in, getting some minutes now. Um, the thing with Lacelso is that, yeah, maybe he can also play number eight, but then you've got Bentecourt and Saar. Maybe Bentecourt is going to be back up six, and if we don't bring in a six in. So, to answer that question, having been banging the Gio Lacelso drum <laughs> this season, the good offer comes in from Barcelona, you know, it's worth considering. Because <laughs> with Lacelso, you never know if he's going to be, like, useful for an extended period of time, right? Mm. Where are you mm. going to go to Argentina and deliberately get his ankle smashed in with a hammer or whatever he is he gets up to over there? I think if um, someone comes in with £40 million for either Richarlison or Lacelso, we you have to sell. You'd sell Richarlison at a loss? Yeah. I, I mean, no one's going to give a 60. But I think Play 40... Yeah, I think £40 million for Richarlison. I don't think Richarlison will ever be the number nine we want. And I don't think he'll ever be the wide player we, we want. So if we can get good money for him and then go and invest that money somewhere else, then we should do it. I, you know, Richarlison I, I, is not long-term striker for Spurs. That's just it's just not going to happen. I think that's insane. I, I you know we're, we're we're short of forward players, and we're short of wide, kind of short of wide players, especially at the moment. Um, and he can play both roles, and he can do a good job, and he can score two goals against Newcastle. I, I, I think there's so much more to offer there, and the upside's yeah, big still. Let's not get over. He he scored two goals, really good. He played really well. That's fantastic. But I, he's not. I don't think he's the striker that Postecoglou wants, or the wide man that Postecoglou wants. So sell him and then use that money wisely. We never sell properly. So sell Lacelso and Silva Charleston. If we get eighty million for the two of them, sell those two and go in and buy. Um, Nathan's friend, um, one of the, which one? One of the Williamses. No, we can't. Now. I mean, he signed uh, a new contract, Nico. But yeah. I, I definitely uh, think Richarlison won't be at Spurs within, let's say, four windows. But I think, sort of, for a tra- for the Son transition period from elite striker to where he will end up, I think it's handy to have Richarlison around. Um, I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk more about players who are outstanding. So Josh Dean says, as I'm sure has been discussed elsewhere, Pedro Porro was involved in all four goals. Porro, Udogi, Son, Udogi, Porro, Son, Richardson, Porro, Richardson, and Porro, Son taken down for a penalty. Should or will Nathan be tweeting that he is the best right back in the league and probably a top four right back in the world? <laughs> uh, okay, I'd have to think about it because when I... The, did I say this before? I think I said this before at the time. When I tweeted what I tweeted about you, Doggy, I did so knowing that there was a um, um, a small top end to to the best left backs in the world. I knew that there wasn't the the height of competition there has been in that role in that position um, historically. Poro would have to really think about um, who are the best right backs in the league, who are the best right backs in the world. Um, but man, he certainly played like he was the best right back in the world in this game. You know, no doubt about that. Um, Wendy's been super, super high on Poro. You've been talking about him being maybe our player of the season so far, right? And I, I haven't had him that high, but certainly in this game, he was up at that standard. He was, he was outrageous. Um, one thing to note is that he got into a wide role several times early in the game. It seemed to be a, a tactical t- uh, thing we were trying out in this game. Be interesting to see if we do that more because, like, think about like West Ham game when we're desperate at the end, we move him wide. Think about Liverpool against nine men when we're desperate at the end, we get him wide. Really don't mind seeing us experiment with that earlier in the game, which is interesting because, like, 
previously we've had Kulosevsky out there, who obviously likes playing inside. Now we're playing Brennan Johnson there, who's a wide, stretchy player, but we're still now is the time that we're going to look at Poro out there. Um wanted to actually talk about I, I, I don't know what it was about Newcastle that made that that the right thing to do in that game but I just want to say um, first half Newcastle pressed in a 4-3-3 where they used their centre forward Isaac to stand in between our centre backs and um, <clears throat> try to separate one half of the pitch from the other half to force us to play down one side play through a fullback and they look to press us there that's kind of a thing that they do a lot what we did brilliantly to do, to go around that was either involved Vicario or what we saw several times was Romero just playing a really lovely weighted and curved ball around Isaac for Davies to run into the space to. Um, how much of that would be applicable to like a fully fit, highly energetic Newcastle? I couldn't say. And then second half, um, they moved into pressing with the front two and they looked to go man-to-man on both the centre-backs. They pressed us higher. We went back to Vicario a few times. Vicario played long for a little while when there was an option to to play to a centre-back and um, Bostokoglu got angry at him for that. But then again, Newcastle got tired again and we found space and uh, uh, and finished the game stronger than we have done recently. They're not very good, Newcastle. I was I was quite looking forward to seeing um, Isaac up close. I've not I've not I've never seen him play in person. I just didn't think he was that good. Almiron looks like a school kid running downhill constantly. <laughs> he's all waving arms and legs <laughs> out of control. It's like he's always running downhill. And uh, Gordon had one opportunity. That Bruno's dirty little player. He loves to get stuck in. But then the rest of them, the shit, the cells was rubbish. Liveramento wasn't great. Dubrovka's terrible. They, yeah, I know they, I know they've been decimated, but they're not very good. So um, I'm counting them out of a top four battle. They had one big chance earlier in the game. They mm. uh, played the ball um, deep themselves, involved the key goalkeeper, drew us out, um, played the sort of direct middle distance chipped ball into was it Gimerez? And I think Basuma should have tracked him, should have got over to him, should have read the play better there. So mistake by Basuma allowed them to break him behind, and then what a touch by Ben Davies to force it onto Isaac Shin, eh? So he was the next player I wanted to talk about. Um, and I, I'm not going to pretend that Ben Davis has been perfect in this run of games because he hasn't. Um, he's he's made mistakes. The Wolves game made a mistake. He's made he's made other mistakes as well. But I think for me, Davis has been reliable enough as a left-sided centre-back in the back four that I now see the right-sided centre-back as the number one priority for, for the January window. Um, whereas previously, I might have thought the left-sided centre-back was an equal priority. I, I'm I'm kind of comfortable with Davis being our left centre-back cover for the rest of the season. He always does this, Ben Davies. We always say, get rid of him, get rid of him. Then he comes in and plays, I don't know, like a, a, a left back that kind of steps into a back three or he plays on the left of a back three. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh no, you know what? He's all right, he's all right. I still think we need to get rid. But um, <laughs> I see what you mean. I see. I do see what you mean. that He's, he's better than, Ro, um, than Royale is at centre-back. And he's better than Dyer is at centre back, so I, I do get I do get that. But yeah, he needs upgrading desperately. He had a really good game, really solid game. I would still be looking to improve our um, quality of depth at left centre back and, and left back, especially in the physical profile, because Ben is gentle. Um, but I would say that what he has achieved in this run of games is is made me think that. Right-sided centre-back is more of a priority than left-sided centre-back um, in the immediate upcoming window. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, same, same. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. If you're a long-time listener, you might know I've been drinking AG1 for a long time, nearly as long as I've been building hills and delivering hot and correct takes. One of the reasons I like AG1 is because it's a complete package. It's packed with prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and other whole food nutrients. It helps me sleep. It helps my gut do a bit of everything, rather like a ginger from Sweden whose name is Kulisewski and he plays on the wing in centre midfield and up front. <laughs> These days, it's all about covering all your bases, being more complete, not boxing into a simple cement mixer role. Give yourself the gift of AG1 this December and then carry on that good habit into the new year. 2024 is the year of complete players and complete nutritional supplements. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. That's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. Check it out. You've probably heard me already talk about our t-shirts. I just wanted to read out this lovely email we got from Sam Curtis, who says, Hi lads, hope you're doing well. I just wanted to email to say that I bought one of your Sonny Puskas hoodies from your store. Basically, I want to say thank you for producing it. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium that day with my dad, who had got us tickets for my birthday. Sadly, my dad passed away in December 2021, and the Burnley game was the last Spurs game we attended together. So I have lots of emotional attachment to that game, and being able to wear something that reminds me of a really special day means a lot. Keep up the great work with the pod, and I hope you all have a great Christmas and New Year. Sam, sorry for your loss, firstly. Thank you so much for your lovely email. I hope you enjoy the hoodie. And um, and that it brings you some happy memories of, of your old man. Um, we really chuffed with the, the merch that Traitor Miller has been designing for us. If you order in the next couple of days, you should be able to get it in time for Christmas still. Bardi had a really good turnaround with his order. I'm going to put my order in tonight. Uh, so the extra inch.co.uk and then just click on the shop tab. Um, thanks again, Sam. It was really appreciated. Lesen says, where are each of you in regards to Romero? As I've seen various people say another red and they seriously contemplate selling him. And he wasn't far off that red against Newcastle. What would have to happen for you to have a similar opinion about selling one of the best defenders in the league? And uh, we've had a, a defence of Romero as well from Owen Dunn, who said, I would love to get your opinions on the narrative that is built around Romero being a dirty player. Watching the game on Sky and Gary Neville seems hell-bent on this narrative, suggesting that he doesn't jockey players as a way of defending and always has to go through the player. Yes, the foul on Wilson was silly, but I don't think his intention was ever to hurt him or that it was close to a red. I think he just wanted to stop the attack. Neville, not for the first time, is so quick to jump on a Using him of wrongdoing, watching it in slow-mo obviously makes it look worse. My question is, given this narrative and the poor standards of refereeing, should Romero try and be a bit more conservative in his defending? It's easy to be typecast as dirty, and I think that any 50-50 decisions are starting to go against him due to his reputation. So I think interesting point there made by Owen about his reputation preceding him, perhaps. But uh, how are you both feeling about Romero? That that was quite a rough challenge he made at the end of the game, and uh, I was briefly quite concerned about it. He's um he's an absolute hero most of the time, but he's a lunatic as well. And as he walks a real fine line, um, there was one bit I don't know if it was caught on camera, but the the whistle went and he just blasted the ball against a Newcastle player. Did that? Did that? Was that picked up on camera? I don't recall that. So like he just went to clear the ball, even though the whistle had gone and just pelted it into uh, into one of their players. And he's just it. I mean, it's funny. It's all it's it's funny, but sometimes he needs to rein it in a bit. There was no need to go through, even though Callum Wilson's an idiot. There was no need to do that at, at three or four nil. It's just I want him to be aggressive and I want him to do all of that stuff. But you can be aggressive and not be an idiot. There is there's there's a way to. But I don't do karate, but I'm sure that's something they teach you in karate. You know, to be aggressive, but to to be controlled. I think quite often he he goes into kind of nightclub, drunk at a nightclub fighting a bouncer when he should be more, I don't know, Daniel's son or Mr. Miyagi and just just attack when it's needed. There was um 
there was an impression amongst some Spurs fans at the beginning of the season because he was the vice captain that he he matured, and then uh, then there was a hope that after how much the Chelsea game cost us, he would have learned his lesson. Um, <laughs> neither of those things appear to be ringing true based on the fact that he definitely should have been sent off for that challenge against Newcastle, I, in my I opinion. Think so as well. Um, but I think with the Chelsea game, we talked about how like a lot of the time when you're discussing Romero, you're like, he's this really aggressive defender. And sometimes aggression is going to be costly in terms of cards and fouls. Um, whereas the Chelsea game, he lost his head. He definitely, I don't think he lost his head in the Newcastle game. I think this was the, he's always pushing that line and sometimes he steps over the line with, with his aggressiveness. Um, but like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right to say, like, read the game state, recognize that the, 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 if, you know, recognize the situation in the game and that you don't need to make that challenge. Uh, you can jockey a player, so do that a little more often when we're up by three goals and we don't desperately need to win the ball right now. Um, because, like, because like I used to come on this podcast every week and say Sergio Ori is a fucking idiot, right? Uh, and he must be criticised for the way he keeps giving away penalties and getting red cards. Um, and my opinion is that Romero offers much more upside than, than Oria did. Um, but he's got to be criticised for this too. I, I do think that there's an extent to which you say you take the fouls with the positivity of the aggression, that you can't separate them. But yes, in, in this case, in the Newcastle case, you say he's got to recognise when to call off a little bit because there's no, there's no need to take that risk at that time. No, he's, it's like he's always close. on the lookout. He's always on the lookout to whack somebody. Like if it's the whistle's gone and he's got, and he's already committed to a 50-50, he'll just go through the man mm. knowing mm. safely that the whistle's already gone so he can't be punished for it. It's, he's constantly looking to whack someone and I would just like him not to. It's, um, it's, it's too many sending offs and we can't, if he gets sent off again, we can't do another period of games without him because Royale and Davies just don't work. He, uh, on, on Dirty Player, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a mislabel for him. Not because he's not going around like scraping his studs on people. He's not gouging eyes and things like that. He's not trying to sneak in the elbows. Maybe a tiny bit of that. But for the most part, it's just that he's so aggressive and robust and hard in what he does that the consequences of that, are physical, right? If you're constantly going in hard all the time, you're going to hurt some players. You might cause them to be out for several weeks. And so we have to, as Spurs fans, make peace with the fact that he's going to get labelled a dirty player, except that that is a legitimate criticism of him. Like, if we're, if we're going to come on this podcast and say, fuck Matty Cash, we have to recognise that Romero, and make jokes about Romero hurting him in revenge, we have to acknowledge um, that this is also who Romero is. I don't think, I can't recall Romero injuring a player and putting them out for several weeks or beyond that. Nothing comes to mind, but it's feasible that he could have done and and maybe will in the future. Um, I think that I don't care too much about what Gary Neville has to say about us ever. Um, um, so that's whatever. But I think that you've got to you've got to make some peace with criticism going Romero's way because it's it's um, it's legitimate. I was going to make the same point about Cash. To be honest, I think Romero's put players at risk at least as much as Cash has done our players. Um, and I don't think, like you, I don't think it's that he wants to hurt players. I think he just really likes to be aggressive because yeah. it's kind of like, uh, um, it's his way of showing dominance, which he then yeah. thinks will have a, a, a knock-on effect, an advantage for him in the next challenge in that the player won't challenge in the same way because they'll be slightly frightened of him and he's imposed himself. And you don't see that in many defenders these days because you get punished for it. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's quite quite rare for players to play with that level of physicality in the way that he does. It's 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 an, it, aggression is definitely the right word because like to him it's a tactical aggression. It's like you might be aggressive mm. in a board game or a video game or in business. Mm. Or mm. It, it's that's how he chooses to approach the game from a tactical level rather than like he's a vindicative, nasty, evil man. Yeah. And it's like the final whistle goes in this game, and there's like some pushing around between Vicario and Wilson. We should probably mention this. <laughs> And he's like there being like the calm, cool headed, chilling everyone out family guy. Like the moment the funnel whistle goes, he he changes back to family man Romero, you know? And and, and this yeah. is why you said the Chelsea game was different because he yeah. lost his head. Yeah. Whereas in no, in normal circumstance, it's built into the way he plays yeah. in a tactical sense. He's he's not a brain dead player just trying to land challenges on people. He's he's thought about this and his his thought process is this helps me and helps the team to, to win the game. So I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it this way. 
Um, and and it, it is risky, but I it often does my work. Chances of winning the ball here is what he thought, right? He's also extremely quick across the ground and does get oh, yeah. to things quickly as well. You see him slapping Sonny's head before the penalty. I, I didn't think that was. I didn't think that was helpful either. He's, <laughs> he just becomes this alter ego as soon as the the game starts. Like, stop slapping Sonny. He's about to take a penalty. Uh, Nathan's already addressed this, but shout out to James Hedges who asked about us going long a little bit more against Newcastle. But uh, faux money, faux problems, Afro Scott on the uh, website formerly known as Twitter said, can you talk about how lazy it is, the running commentary that Ange doesn't change his tactics? I've seen so many adjustments and tweaks from him from game to game, even half to half, and none of it ever gets mentioned because Tottenham just attack. And actually, it was very much the same. The commentary in the Newcastle game was very much the same. Neville basically saying Spurs play great football in the middle third. They moved the ball so brilliantly through midfield, but essentially he was hinting at the fact that we were poor in both boxes and, and didn't take the chances and then we took the chances in this one obviously so he changed his tune at the end but um yeah I completely agree that there is a, a narrative about Spurs and a snobbery around Postacoglu and we've said in this podcast week in week out that he is making regular tweaks he tweaks things so often um but I think the level of punditry in this country is still awful um, in football, and I think they they so they stick to the formation largely. They don't notice the the nuanced details too much. You know, if this was cricket, these changes get picked up in cricket commentary because there's a level of detail and analysis, partly due to the, the slowness of the game, um, which which completely supersedes anything you get in football. Aside from you know Gary O'Neill on Monday Night Football every now and again, um, but I, I think Postacoglu is being hard done by 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 uh, the the commentary teams. Um, so I, I completely agree with that with that question. I thought we sat deep in the second half. I thought I thought we sat deeper than I'd seen us sit for a while and then play on the counter. And you're right. There's everybody seems to think we're playing this incredible high line all the time but we're not we I haven't seen us play a high line like we did against Chelsea that often and it's we change all the time our tactics are continually changing and I do think it's just lazy lazy narratives from from them and the talk sport crew simultaneously true that we're very very attacking almost all of the time and and apply that regardless of the circumstances and true that we are constantly tweaking what we're doing to our opponent and how our given half of football has gone and whether the opponent's pressing in a two or a three or a diamond shape or whatever and, and moving our fullbacks around to solve problems and then when that doesn't work moving a midfielder deeper to solve that problem and all kinds of things um, and if the people that you're hearing are saying that we just play the same all the time and they've got no plan B then stop listening to them they completely mm. disregard them yeah I do think it's difficult though if you're if you're sat at home watching the game like to just it takes a certain kind of willpower like my dad would just mute the commentary and then just sit there in <laughs> silence and watch a game so it is difficult to to shut them out sure yeah um we haven't spoken a great deal about the West Ham game uh so far first I'm hearing of this <laughs> <laughs> um so in my in my post match pods basically after West Ham I said I'm not overly worried about the West Ham match. I think there were a couple of freak goals for them and another another day it goes our way and we win the game and it's a, it's another sign that we're back on track. And then post-Newcastle, I said, I think we played quite similarly to how we did again in the West Ham game, but we were against a much more tired team and, and therefore, you know, there are some tweaks and some enhancements. But largely speaking, I think we're still travelling in the same direction. And I think... My main thing is to I'm calm about all of this. I've been calm about the losing streak because we've looked good in a lot of the in the performances and and have given up some slightly freakish goals. Um, and also I've had an injury crisis, and now injured players are coming back. You know, wonderful to have Saar back in this game. There's more players coming back left, right, and centre. Richarlison. I, I just feel really confident. We've got a lovely run of games coming up um where we should be able to put some wins together hopefully but is there anything either of you guys wanted to say about the West Ham game yeah I was actually really quite frustrated by the West Ham game because obviously like I've been I've been saying like looking long term feeling really great best coach um recruitment's improved blah 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 feeling feeling so good despite the results whereas the West Ham game really frustrated me um because because we were more than before, but also exaggerating the previous flaws, failing to turn dominance of possession and dominance of territory into chances. Um, 
so I definitely came away um, um, more upset from the West Ham game than I has, have been by any other, except kind of Chelsea, but then there are also moments of joy in the Chelsea game, right? Um, because like it felt like we weren't... We weren't learning lessons. Like, obviously, we don't have a 1v1 specialist who can get to the byline. Therefore, like, what things are we drilling to use 1-2 combinations to get uh, find other ways of getting in behind opposition's fullbacks? Why wasn't Poro wider earlier? Um, other things like that. And then, obviously, like, the two goals we conceded against West Ham are, like, the two stupidest goals you've ever seen in your life, somehow both in the same match. But it's also true that game after game, we tire out around 60 minutes and allow our opposition back into the game. And if we're not up by three goals at that point, then the game is at risk. And so that was, once again, um, a factor. So, yeah, I think that if we had recorded after the West Ham game, if these two games had been the other way round or whatever, um, then I would have been... I would have been in a bad mood for the first time this season, basically. I was in a really bad mood with the West Ham game. I came from work from Stratford and I was on a train full of West Ham fans singing Champions of Europe. God. I, yeah, it was awful. And um, then to go 1-0 up and kind of control the game, I still didn't think we were that great, but we were definitely had a, had a like, control of the match. For it's just to lose in that kind of individual era FC, to revert back to that really annoyed me. And I think that was more... I think that was what hurt me the most. That these the stupid errors that led to their their coming back into it. And then as soon as we were two one down, I just I didn't feel it. There's been times this season against Sheffield United, Liverpool, etc., that where you feel that something's gonna come for us. But the West Ham game was the first time under Postacogli where I just didn't feel it. I didn't sense that we could turn it around. And it's a it's a real big missed opportunity considering all the results have happened this weekend, that those three points would have been really useful. The the only thing I would say about the West Ham game for me that that I was really frustrated by was Postacoglu's use of subs, um, yeah. especially bringing on Skip for the Celso, which I think killed it a bit for us. Um, and I think that ties in nicely to this question from Double A, who says uh, in in the post match analysis, Tim Sherwood said he was excited about the prospect of playing both Decky and Madison together in the midfield with Basuma in behind. Do we agree with Tim Sherwood on this occasion? And uh, I mean, I think we could play in midfield of. Basuma, Decky, and Madison, and I think I'd way rather see that than any midfielder of a skipping at this point. And I, I feel sad to say that because I've been a big skip fan for a, a long time. Uh, I really hope that he would make it with us, but I just don't think he's suited to to Ange Ball. I don't think he's got the athleticism. I don't think he's good enough as a six. So I think it's time for him to try something else and and, and move on for the good of his career. Um, and I'm I'm really on board with with Basuma, Madison, and Kulusevski for certain matches I think so it's been a it's been a tough season for Skip like you I'm, I've also been a kind of hopeful or a bit of a fan of his but he hasn't looked good all season when he's come off the bench I don't think he's apart from one kind of bit of skill against City I don't think he's had a positive impact on, on any match and he looks out of his depth where he doesn't like Schoeberg doesn't have the physicality either but at least he's pretty decent on the ball Skip is Skip doesn't even have that it's um I think his time is done yeah yeah I um I think that most because again we've got this fatiguing issue um most of the time Skip's coming in and the whole the reason we're going for Skip rather than like oh we'll just have a bunch of attacking players in midfield is that like we want energy and we want um aggression and jewels and and athleticism and stuff and Skip is closer to that than, you know, playing a bunch of number 10s. Um, but he's still... Because because of his play style, which is to be like an all-round midfielder who can do a bit of everything, mm. um, if he was just like 10% more athletically gifted, he'd be a really special player. And I think that, as when you said, when he takes a step down a level, when he goes back to the championship, or if he goes back to mm. a lower Premier League team, or especially if he goes to abroad, one of the other top five leagues, he'll really thrive because his game, his technical skill, um, combined with more of an athletic edge than he has, he'll do really, really well. And, and that, one of the reasons I want to mention that is because like, um, for a long time, Wendy and I were like banging the skip drum, right? Because we, I can't even remember whatever the situation would have been at the time that he was on the edge of breaking through would have been, would have been under Mourinho. So like Hoiberg, um, maybe, maybe, uh, 
maybe Sissoko was still getting minutes or whatever. And we were like, let's bring through Skip. Skip's really talented. Let's look at Skip on loan at Norwich. Isn't he fun? Look at this interception that's also a pass, things like that. And now we're like, get rid of this guy. I want to see Donnelly, right? And and I understand um, that that might come across sort of um, like hypocritical. Maybe there's a different word I'm looking for here. Um, bandwagony, you know? Um, but I think that that's sort of the right process to give these plays, players a try, 100%. give them a good run, get a good look at them, and then say, okay, no, this player isn't quite up to this level because, and we can say with Skip's case, his profile needs just a little bit more um, explosivity um, than than he has, and so he'll probably do well elsewhere. Or, or press resistance in the Basima mob because there's a lot, he, he could do a good job as a it's, six for, it's for certain there. teams. You know, yeah, it's, like it's, he, it is nearly there. He shows it in one moment and then he gets pushed off the ball in the next, you know? And it's like, yeah, exactly. it, it, when he can go again to a slightly less intense league, which is every other league in the world, um, then I think he'll really, really thrive, um, possibly as a number six or, or however. Mm. I don't see Skip making it in like a Southern European league. He, <laughs> I can just imagine him playing in the south of Spain, just sweating his ass off in March. No, I don't <laughs> I think he's just better slathered off in <laughs> slathered in suntan lotion. <laughs> <laughs> the palest like man in Spain. In yeah, I mean, I, I I desperately wanted it to work out for Skip, yeah. but I think Nathan's right. I think you know we should have sold Skip sooner. Um, and and if we had uh, stuck to our strategy of of using progressive managers, I think Skip would probably be gone by now. I think the sure. fact that he's stuck around is because we've we've lurched from different management style to different management style. And the way to bring through young players is to give them an opportunity, give them exposure, test them cynically, add value to them. You know, we've added value to Skip and then make a judgment call and decide if you are going to progress with that player, bring through another young player or sign a player who's who's superior Um, or all of the above, because that's appropriate as well. Um, And we we should have sold Skip by now. We should definitely set him in the next couple of windows and we'll get a good price for him. And and that's... That's fair. There's a chance it will take maybe more windows than that because he's homegrown and we've got other things we need to do. Maybe. Um, depends if we sign Wharton, I suppose. Hmm. Uh, he, he would be a, a lovely number six signing. Um, so we have a question from another one from Johannes Roswell, who said, we love seeing Udogi and Sara in the 11 and it was nice waiting and getting excited about them last year. Shouldn't we repeat the process, sign a promising six and loan him loan him back to his club and what names do you see out there huh. uh no we shouldn't loan them back because we need one in january probably because yeah. the is going to be out um do you know when bentacore is due back it could be three months is what i've heard wow wow three months so apparently so so right now we're set to be playing hoivier and or skip as the as the number six through january and i don't fancy that so i would like to i mean you know as a dream, I would like us to bring through uh, a young number six on January 1st and then play them on the, what, the 5th? Um, probably won't happen. <laughs> probably definitely won't happen. Um, but um, I think I've talked through all of these guys before. Redondo Jr., I really, really like. Um, I also now similarly like Adam Wharton to um, to a similar level. And um, also coming in third now is Vermeeren at Royal Antwerp. Um, when I looked at him last time, he was just an out-and-out ball winner, and now he's really, really added to his possession game. So I think he's, he's definitely worth considering. Um, that's enough, isn't it? Pick one of them Spurs. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's another championship midfielder I think you should take a look at, Nathan, at some point, and that is uh, Dan Neal, who plays for Sunderland. Sunderland have had to have a number of really exciting young players at the moment, one of whom is Jack Clark, who looks <laughs> really, really, really good as a 1v1 winger. Does he get to the byline? Oh, my goodness. He gets to the byline a hell of a lot. He would be so useful right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. But but Daniel's very good. I really okay. like him. He scored a gorgeous goal for them at the weekend. Um, sort of made a run through, um, was found, and then dinked the keeper, sat the keeper down and dinked him. It was it was glorious. And he's a yeah, promising sort of 20-year-old. Um, twenty. No, he's a bit older than that, I think. I think he might be might even be 22 but he's very good very good indeed so Samuel Kamlani and this was sent prior to the Newcastle game obviously he says we have only scored more than two goals in a game once this season so it's now twice and that was against Burnley however we do create a lot of chances in each game other than Son looking at the low number of goals scored by our attackers does this indicate an issue with our chance conversion 
Um, so in the last couple of games, we've seen goals from uh, Udogi, Romero. Um, so defenders are contributing, perhaps not as much as, as one would hope. I mean, I thought Porro and Udogi would both have scored more goals by now. Um, Romero has been very helpful for sure. Uh, but is there an issue with our chance conversion? Where else should the goals be coming from? I, for as good as we played against West Ham, it didn't feel like we created that many chances. Um, and I think we created the opportunity to create chances yes. and we didn't create yeah. the chance. And I think that's been I think that's been something that's been happening to us a lot this season. We've been creating moments where a chance should be created, but it's just not been happening because it, I, like there was a talk at halftime at Newcastle and at West Ham. Oh, we're battering them, we're battering them. We should be two, three goals up. I've never felt that we should be. Like I've never felt that we should be two or three goals up because despite dominating and having the ball, I just don't think we're opening teams up. So I think there is definitely something there in terms of our, our forward line that needs a bit of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of talked about this um, a few weeks ago when things were really r- running really well. It might have been like the Fulham game or something, and uh, how like our XG, our, our underlying numbers weren't that great. Um, Explain that, and I was like, well, I don't really know. It feels really good. We're getting in the box a hell of a lot. Like we're in, we're still top of the league for 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 passes into the box and things like that. Um, so it seems fine. And then I feel like um, you know, as a result of lots of missing players through injury and suspension we've got a better feel of our weaknesses and maybe that's a very small blessing in disguise in that um we're not we haven't been turning into the newcastle game um our territorial and possessional advantage into chances we've had very high what they call expected threat which is to be like what could you do from here, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. What could have happened from here? Um, how close are you to the opponent's goal in general kind of thing? Um, but yeah, missing that final pass. Guess what I'm going to talk about now? Mainly because we have lacked a player who can beat their man and get to the byline in the Newcastle game. We simulated that experience because Trippier um, was out on his feet. Um, so yeah, I do feel like that's... Uh, and and again, when I talked about the West Ham game, like there's kind of other ways of trying to achieve that better combination play. I went back, I posted this on, on Twitter last night. Yeah. Um, 10 of our 33 league goals, so just under a third of our league goals this season, um, have come from us getting to the byline, which is higher, a higher percentage than I would have thought. Oh my goodness. Um, is that a fruitful way for us? Because we, because we stretch the opposition so wide, because we stretch the opposition, um, uh, uh, vertically as well and depth and constantly overload them and get so many players in the box when we can get to the byline, we're so fruitful. And what I tweeted again also last night is when we bring into the squad a player who can do that on their own, you know, three, four, five times a game. We're going to blow teams away. We're going to be scoring three-plus goals every game. Um, we're going to be just an outrageous attacking force. And um, we're going to be an incredible team. It's very um, very FIFA, get to the byline and cut it back, no? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, you know, there was a period of time in my life where we were playing Aaron Lennon. And it was like, mm. well, he gets to the byline and cuts it back. It's like, okay, but what about other ways of scoring goals, you know? Yeah. And now things have kind of cyclically come back around. It's just because... Like the thing is, once again, once once we have a player who can do that and teams have to worry about that and they're trying to defend that player with two players, then it's like, well, now we play the pass back and Kuliseski can whip a through ball. Um, you know, the other threats become more threatening because teams have to worry about get into the byline at the moment they're like well, we don't have to worry about them getting to the byline. And then when we do, they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> no one's marking Richarlison right now, you know, yeah. um, yeah, I just think we will be a complete attacking threat once we add that to our game regularly. And um, like, because our approach play, and this is kind of the interesting thing with Postacoglu looking at his time at Celtic, right? Celtic almost never got pressed. So their entire game was in the final third. And okay, they had a significant talent advantage over the off the position. But what really impressed me about Postacoglu Celtic is their final third play. And then he's come to Spurs and it's like, okay, um, we're going to have this great final third game, but... How's he going to deal with teams pressing as well? Well, actually, 
we're maybe the best team in the league except for Brighton in our build-up game and it's the final third where we're just a little shy um but the promise is there like believe what you're seeing with your eyes it's beautiful football and I believe that if we can add this one profile to our squads that beautiful football will become dominant winning um uh bountiful football do we need to get a midfielder that can whack it as well no we've we've got enough midfielders who can whack it well I mean I was gonna say you know during this period, we're seeing our players adapt more and more to the system and become really expert at, at, at delivering what Postacogli wants to deliver. Yeah. And we've got Madison to come back in, who is a brilliant fit for the system and also a brilliant, brilliant chance creator. I think that's so exciting. The the, the prospect of having a midfield of Madison, Basuma and Bentancourt and a front three of anyone from, you know, Richarlison, Johnson, Son, and then take a pick who else fills those roles. Uh, God, I, 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 I do think even without the signing of a, a 1v1 winger, we've, there's a lot more to come from this team, a hell of a lot more to come. And I think we're going to finish the season really strongly. I think January is going to be hard with the African Cup of Nations and the Asian Games. But after that, yeah, we're going to do Sounds bits. like you're going full cow, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to add, um, so we had a lovely meal with our Discord moderators who do some lovely, who do great work for us and who we really appreciate. And two of them, Karina and Eric, were over to catch a couple of Spurs games as well as hang out with us. And I was so delighted that we won for them because they'd seen that West Ham game and uh, <laughs> we, hadn't, we hadn't got the result for them. So I was so relieved and thrilled that they, they managed to see a win. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Clark. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Creighton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, who we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.